the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is here. And by the power of His Spirit, He is at work among His people. I think that's pretty evident so far this morning. So we could just pray and go home. Um, And we would be a blessed people, amen? And yet there's still more to go. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. As you're finding that passage, I just want to say it is an honor to bring you the word this morning. It's not often that the youth pastor gets called to the major leagues. And so I want to be faithful to the task. This morning, we're going to see Paul give the Ephesian church and us a helpful foundation for a a vital doctrine in the Christian life that, frankly, I don't think gets enough attention. We're going to talk about the doctrine of illumination this morning. And so we'll be in Ephesians chapter 1, but just buckle up because we're going to fly around the Bible. If you were here in December, this is not uh, abnormal for me. Um, I'm pretty good at over-preparing, but let's see how far we can get. Have you ever thought about what God does when you open your Bible? I mean, you go, maybe it's in your quiet time in the morning, maybe it's in the afternoon as you uh, have some time to spare, maybe it's in the evening as you prepare for sleep, or at some time you're opening up your Bible or you're scrolling on your phone to read the text. Have you ever thought, what is God doing right now with me? How about when you really heard the gospel for the first time? For me, I was eight years old at a vacation Bible school in Wetumpka, Alabama, and I had heard the gospel, but I had never heard it. So what was God doing when, for the first time, I actually heard there is a Savior who has made a way to take away your sins and give you life? What was God doing in that moment? Or how about when you meet together for small groups, Sunday school classes, and you open up your Bibles and you study the Scriptures together? Or even right now, this morning, as we sing the word, remember the word, hear the word preached, and as we do so many Sundays, see the word in baptism, in the Lord's Supper. What is God up to? All of this is the doctrine of illumination. If you would like to see a a definition, it'll be on the screen. This is one that I made. The, The doctrine of illumination is the work of the Holy Trinity enlightening believers to behold the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, moving us closer into the divine life and providing greater vision to perceive the scriptures rightly and live accordingly. That sounds probably pretty academic, and I promise it will make sense by the end. This is the doctrine of illumination. What is God doing when he brings his word to bear on you? and on his church. So I want to read with you Ephesians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 15. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation In the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which 
he has called you. Let's pray together. Oh God in heaven, you have seen fit to be immensely kind to your people this morning. As we have sung your praises, we have been reminded of the truth of the gospel time and time again. As we've enjoyed the fellowship of the saints, we remember your fellowship with us through Christ. And as we've spent time already in our Sunday school classes and elsewhere in your word, studying the scriptures, your spirit has opened the eyes of our hearts, perhaps in ways we're not even aware of. So God, we thank you that you move among your people, that you are conforming the body of Christ into the image of Christ, and that your work is unstoppable. So God, we pray and ask that you would continue to do that good work for your glory and for our good in these moments ahead. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The doctrine of illumination is founded upon this supreme idea, and that is the first point this morning. You and I need to see God. We need to see God. So what is the spirit of wisdom and revelation going to reveal? As we read here in Ephesians chapter 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, is going to give you and me as the church a spirit That spirit is of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What is the hope to which he has called us? Well, the Sunday school answer applies in this context. The answer, the hope that you and I have is Christ. He is our hope. He's our living hope. He's the one in whom we have put all of our chips. He is the one we have banked and staked our whole life upon. The church in Ephesus needed a clearer vision of Jesus more than anything in the world. And we need a clearer vision of Jesus too. We know that we receive Christ by grace through faith. This is the gospel of our salvation. A way of talking about that gospel in Scripture is seeing God or having God's face shine upon us. You don't have to turn there, but there'll be some references on the screen. Think about Numbers chapter 6, this ironic blessing, blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You see the connection. There's this be gracious to me, have peace towards me by shining your face upon me. Or in Psalm chapter 80, three times it says something to the effect of this. We see in verse 3, Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. Or hold up Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Or 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Church, we need to see God. And we need to have our eyes opened to his glory, to his beauty, to his grace, to his holiness, to the immeasurable infinity that is the God of Scripture, the God who made you and me and everything that exists. The God who gives us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might see him as he is. 
But this doctrine of elimination is not just the Holy Spirit at work. It's the triune God. It's the work of the Holy Trinity, remember. So a man, a theologian named Kevin Van Hooser has this great phrase that says, the doctrine of illumination is light from light through light. So it's light. 1 John 1.5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Our God and Father, the one who gives us all good gifts, James tells us, they come down from the Father of lights. The one who spoke in Genesis chapter 1 and said, let there be light. And before there were stars, there was light in the universe from his own glorious presence. But the Son of God is also the light, is he not? John chapter 8 tells us Jesus is the light of the world. And in Hebrews, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And we see the light of the glory of God, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, in the face of Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus, we see the light of God. And the Spirit illuminates our vision so that we might see the light of Christ. That's what he's talking about here in our passage this morning. He prays, oh, that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him so that having the eyes of your heart enlightened, you will know. You will know. We need to see God because he is our salvation. So when you heard the gospel for the first time, like really heard it, right? It wasn't because your ears were just more sensitive, It wasn't because you had grown in your ability to rationalize information and make grown, mature decisions. It may have been partly that, but it's because what once was blind has now been given sight. You were in the dark, and God turned on the lights. This is what I'm calling the illumination of conversion. It's what Paul says in Colossians 1 when he says that you've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. You were in the dark. You were blind. But now you see. And when you saw the offer of the gospel for the first time, it was irresistibly beautiful. For most of us in this room, that event took place in our past. Many of us have been walking with Jesus for a long time. Many of you have been walking, for Je- well, walking with Jesus much longer than I've been alive. Praise God. Today, however, there are some that I'm praying that God would turn on the lights today. That you might hear for the first time what is actually being said. The offer of hope and life and grace instead of judgment for your sins. Darkness gave way to the brightness of God. And today, we continue to grow in that vision. The light that shined in our hearts continues to expose and reveal and guide us. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. So day by day, church, as you go to him in prayer and receive from him through his word and enjoy the fellowship of the saints, you're being moved a little bit brighter, a little bit brighter, a little bit clearer, a little bit clearer. 
We grow in Christ's likeness as we grow in the light of his presence. This is not just illumination of conversion, but the illumination of progress. It's the joy that you and I have when we look back at our lives a year ago and say, I was really struggling with this sin and now I'm, I'm not struggling as much. Or I, I really had no idea of this doctrine or this concept. Or I had no idea how to get a handle on this book of the Bible and now I, I know. Now I've, I've, I've grown. Now I've, I've learned. That progress is the gift of God who is causing the scales to continue to fall off your eyes. And one day, we will be with God in the full splendor of his holiness. The full splendor of his beauty without any hint or trace of sin. Listen to this picture in Revelation chapter 22. The apostle writes, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Church, that's our hope. That's our future. We are headed towards the light of glory. And that's what Paul is getting at here in the passage before us. We need to know the hope to which we've been called. And we cannot know that hope apart from the enlightening of our hearts. And our hearts cannot be enlightened apart from the Spirit of God who comes from the Father and the Son to help us to see God. We need to see God. But number two this morning, where do we see God? In one sense, we see God everywhere. John Calvin talks about how when you receive the gift of faith, you receive the spectacles of faith. And now everything in your vision has been clarified to point you not to itself, but as a window, something you can look through to see the glory of God. In one sense, as believers, you and I can enjoy creation. We can enjoy our families. We can enjoy our hobbies and our vocations in a way that unbelievers will never understand. But specifically, where do we see God? Our second point this morning, we see God through his word. We see God through his word. God gives us his word to see him. And so the Bible is the window to seeing God in Christ. Paul says, you've been given a spirit of wisdom and of revelation of the knowledge of him. So what is the purpose of your Bible? It's a roadmap for life, yes. It's a guide to know the gospel, absolutely. It is a gift of God for your salvation, yes. Why do you have a Bible? To see God. You have a Bible so that you might meet God here and see him. There's a, there's a primary reason for scripture and it's to know him. And it's not to know him as, as though you know a list of formulas in school. So I'm gonna be a nerd for a little bit. It's not a surprise to any of my youth. We need to know the difference between extrinsic knowledge or outside knowledge and intrinsic knowledge or inside knowledge. Extrinsic knowledge is like a list of facts. 
right? If I asked you to describe a bicycle, you would say, well, it has two wheels. It's probably made of metal. These are the handlebars. This is the pedals. If you, if you put your foot on the pedal and move it, it makes the wheels move. You're, you're giving me a list of facts, and those things are really helpful. If I don't know those things, I don't know this bike. But that's extrinsic knowledge. It's a list of facts that doesn't require any kind of relationship to that bike. Intrinsic knowledge is well, I don't really know what these things are called, but I know when I get on it and I start moving my feet this way, it moves me much faster than I can go by myself. Do you see the difference? Intrinsic knowledge is relational. Intrinsic knowledge is I have to know this thing in a way more than just facts. And here's my concern. My concern is that we've made this an either-or scenario. Some of us think that the Bible is given to us so that we might know a lot of facts about God. Now, I'm, I'm studying theology in seminary. I, I love facts about God. I've given a lot of my time and energy and, and resources to, to be able to do that at a high level. And so you and I need to know these facts about who God is, these, these ways in which God has revealed himself to us. But that's not why we have a Bible. We have a Bible so that we might know the one who made us. We, we have a Bible so that we might know the God who saves us. We have a Bible so that we might know him as a friend. Not so that we might know him in a way that causes our hearts to puff up, but so that we might know him in a way that causes our hearts to be filled with love. Love for God love for neighbor. The doctrine of illumination leads us to know God because that's why we have his word. In John chapter 16, Jesus says just as much. He's talking to his disciples. It's near the end of his ministry. And starting in verse 13 of John chapter 16, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he, is, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. When you read the Bible, the Spirit will lead you to know Jesus. We need to know the context of the church in Ephesus. We need to know the, the context of the wars going on in the ancient Near East during the time of the tribes of Israel. But that is not why we have a Bible. We have a Bible to know Christ. We have a Bible to see God. The messengers, these apostles, will be the ones to write down God's revelation of himself in Christ for us. So what we need is both the inspiration of Scripture and the illumination of Scripture. Many of us are well acquainted with the inspiration of Scripture. God's Word, the Bible, is divinely inspired. The Holy Spirit of God superintends the human authors to write exactly what God wanted for his church to have. So when Paul recognizes a need in the church in Thessalonica because they've been approached by false teachers, he writes to them. 
But in the providence of God, God has seen fit to make a Paul. One who will write with that kind of care and that kind of grace and that kind of urgency to be the exact words that the church will need from now till Jesus returns. That's inspiration. But the Spirit illuminates that word so that we might hear God when we read it. The Spirit will not illumine what is not in concert with what he inspired. In other words, God's Spirit is not going to lead you to believe something contrary to the Scriptures. He's not double-minded. So when I ask God, help me, God, to understand your word, it is clear and sufficient and necessary, but sometimes it is hard, right? Peter says as much. He says, yeah, these Scriptures, like the ones that Paul wrote, they are hard to understand. I'm like, amen. You walked with Jesus. Like if there's, if you need help, I need help, right? So then scripture is carried by the spirit to always be effective. Now for believers, we think of the effectiveness of scripture as that which softens our heart to know God, to repent of sin, to confess our sins, to live in holiness, to walk in humility, yes and amen. But there's a Puritan proverb that says the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. So don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, when you share the word of the Lord with somebody who doesn't believe and they don't accept it. Don't be surprised when you try to read scripture with someone who has not had their eyes opened and it causes their heart to harden. Has the word of God failed? Not at all. The Spirit who superintended the inspiration of the Word superintends the illumination of the Word. Your job and my job is not to convince, is not to coerce, it's to be faithful and let the Spirit of God use the Word to do His work. We do things with words. And we know this, right? Like if you have a child, I have a... I have a little son. He'll be two years old in October. And when I speak to my son, I'm not just trying to let him practice hearing English, right? Like, I think parents get this, right? So if, if I say to my son, uh, Abe, stop climbing on the table, which is a very common phrase in my house, right? I, I've said those words. Abe, stop climbing on the table. But there's a, there's a meaning, there's a force underneath that statement, right? I want him to do something. I want him to stop climbing on the table. <laughs> it's not like, ah, oh, dad, that was a very well-constructed sentence. Thank you. I'm so much more informed now. No, like, I need you to respond, right? We do things with words all the time. That's why we speak. Now, when I say, Abe, get down off the table, stop climbing on the table, what I don't know is my wife is in the kitchen and we've had a conversation a week ago about how we really need to replace this table because it has really sharp corners and it could really like hurt him. And he's already busted his lip like a dozen times. And so she remembers, ooh, I was supposed to order that new table. Are you following me? That word is static. It's sure. It is, I said what I said. 
but she got something totally different than what my son got. And in the same way, you and I believe that the word of God is inerrant. It is supreme. It is authoritative. It is clear. It is necessary and sufficient for life and godliness for the whole Christian. But have you ever wondered why you might go to a text of Scripture and say, I know what this text means, but man, it is really convicting me of sin in this moment. And you go meet with a brother and they go, man, I was just so encouraged. Well, how can that be? It's the same word. The same word is the doctrine of inspiration. The different applications is the doctrine of illumination. And you and I need both as the church to grow in Christ's likeness together. Illumination is rightly seen as the Spirit's witness to revelation. It's not additional revelation. It's not that I'm reading the Bible and go, you know, I really think I should write another book of Scripture. I think that's what God's leading me to do. No. He's not adding to his revelation. It's complete. It's sufficient. He doesn't add to the revelation itself. Instead, the Spirit shines light on the shadowy parts of Scripture where the Son of God is not as conspicuous. Since Jesus shows that he's the focus of the inspired word, Jesus will always be the main character of your story. So when I read the Bible, I am reading to find Jesus. So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Just a couple pages back. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want, us, I want us to put our eyes on this as an example of what's going on. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and in chapter 10, starting in verse 1, he throws this little nugget of truth in here. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Let's just pause right there. So, so Paul is talking about Israel in the wilderness talking about Israel being delivered out of captivity in Egypt, talking about Israel wandering through the wilderness, being led by the cloud of smoke by day and the cloud of fire by night. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. What is Paul doing here? Is Paul adding to the book of Exodus or numbers? Is he, is he adding something that we don't have when we go and read the story of Israel? No. He's saying from Genesis to the end, our book is a Christian book. And the main character of this story is God. And we see God in Christ. So when you and I read the Old Testament, yes, we want to know all about Israel. We want to know all about their struggles. We want to know all about the covenants that God made with them. We want to know all about the promises. But we want to know those things as they point us to Christ. And if we stop at just, I know about ancient Near Eastern migration patterns, then we've missed the point of why you and I have this book as the church. This book 
is for us to see God. And what Paul is showing us is, as Christians who have that spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, when you and I read from Genesis to Revelation, if we have eyes to see, we will see him there. The illumination of the Spirit does not create new meaning in the text as much as it enlightens the believer to perceive God's intent. So why do we need to know this story? We need to know this story so that we might love Jesus. We need to know this story so that we might see our own sin and our own need and Christ's provision. In the same way that Israel was wandering in the wilderness, thirsty and parched, and this miraculous thing happened. A rock was wounded and struck, and it led to their life. Well, what does that remind you of? It reminds me of a lamb who is sent to be slaughtered, who takes away the sins of the world. So when we read the Bible... We want to perceive God's intent. And so we ask God, by the power of your spirit, give me this spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of yourself. So there might, I might know, I might know, not just as a list of facts, but I might know as something as dear to me as breathing. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is the hope for my life. So how do we do this? Third and final point this morning Seeing God through the word in practice. How do, we, how do we do this? Paul shows us in this passage that the illumination of the Spirit is a holistic endeavor in the life of the believer. And it takes place throughout their whole life. Look again at verse 15. He says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you. So, so what Paul is saying is, hey, I've seen you live. I've seen the love that you have for one another. And all of that is rooted in the Spirit who has given you eyes to see. So I'm going to pray that he keeps showing you more and more and more of God. Their faith in Jesus and their love for the saints is what Paul remembers their embodied actions and heartfelt desire for the good of one another and the glory of God is what calls to mind in Paul. But those actions and feelings must be informed by the knowledge of that hope, which is Christ, given to them by the Spirit from the Father. And it goes without saying, but all of us know good in the eyes of the world, good institutions, organizations, charities who are doing wonderful things by God's common grace in the world and they are godless, right? Like we, we know of organizations who provide clean water and wells and, and health care and, and wonderful things and there is no gospel. And if we're not careful we might think, well, we can just be kind to one another and, and not really ever talk about Jesus and not really ever talk about the gospel and not really ever talk about the, the, the fact that the Spirit is the one who energizes us to be faithful in all these things. We can just say, hey, here's a meal, here's some water, here's some health care, and we need those things. Don't hear me wrong. But if we give those things at the expense of what they need most, 
then what we're doing is not fundamentally a Christian endeavor. It's a, it's a, a moral good. It's a civil good. But it's eternally fruitless. So what does this doctrine look like in practice? How do we go from this gathering together, not just more informed in our minds, but in our practice as followers of Jesus? Well, I think there's three things that you can remember, and we'll have them on the screen. First, illumination deals with the head, the heart, and the hands. When you read the Bible and, and in live in the fellowship of believers, alert to what we've been talking about this morning, you will come to recognize, perhaps slowly at first, but more so as your vision gets brighter. When I live in light of this truth, my mind is going to be transformed, right? That's Romans chapter 12. I need to be transformed by the renewal of my mind. But not only that, it's going to change my affections, It's going to change what I love. I want to, Psalm 37, I want to delight myself in the Lord and receive the desires of my heart. Well, how do I receive the desires of my heart? Well, I make sure that my desires are God's desires. Well, how do I do that? I see God and I see what his desires are. Where do I go for that? I go to the Bible. So over time, my mind and my heart is being transformed, which will then regulate and inform and empower the actions that you and I do. There's a story about a, a liturgical church, so not, not necessarily Lakeview, and, and one of them, uh, they recite the, the creed every Sunday. And part of the creed is, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Every Sunday, for years, this father has gone to this church and recited this creed and has been reminded that as a Christian, what I believe in is that sins can be forgiven. And so his son grows up and makes a wreck of his life. He goes off and has this crazy weekend where he totally shames his family, totally shames himself, embarrasses himself. His dad has to go pick him up in the middle of the night, completely broken. And all the son can do is say, dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was doing. And, and without even thinking, the father goes, well, son, of course I forgive you. Now, in that moment, the father is not deliberating in the car whether or not he needs to extend forgiveness to his son. No, his actions are coming out of the heart. That for years and years, he has told himself and been reminded by his church, I'm a Christian, and Christians believe in the forgiveness of sins. Of course I forgive you. What what other option do I have? I've been forgiven. Of course I forgive you. So as we live in light of this illumination, our head, our heart, and our hands will be affected. It's not the mere overcoming of intellectual hurdles due to sin in our minds, although that is also true. But illumination is the act of God exposing a sinner like you and me to the reality of the divine life. This is who God is testifying to the Son of God who invites all of us to live with Him. Number two, illumination is not automatic. It's through means. I I don't want you to get the impression that we leave here and you think that the doctrine of illumination is like magic. That every time you open your Bible, you're going to behold some wonderful treasure. Perhaps the vast majority of the time, it's going to look radically ordinary and mundane and normal. 
But God uses the means of study, the means of community, the means of prayer. Listen to Greg Allison, a professor at Southern Seminary. He says, the Spirit is not the light itself per se, nor does he merely provide help for understanding Scripture. He himself is present and active in the reading, in the studying, in the meditating on, in the memorizing, in the applying of the Word of God. His personal presence demands acknowledgement. So when you and I go to read our Bibles, we need to have it settled in our heart. God is here and he is at work. So Holy Spirit, help me to see what you want me to see. Now I'm going to work hard and be diligent and study and memorize and meditate all the while confident that God is at work. And that God is much more for me than I am. You believe that, that he's, he is much more for your good, for your holiness, for your sanctification than you are. So when I go to read my Bible, confession time, and I just don't feel like it, right? Like, is that, maybe that's just me. Like I get up and I go open my Bible and I'm just like, I just would much rather do like anything else. Then I can trust in that moment but even if it was the thing I wanted to do most today, I will not out-desire God for my good. So I can trust when I don't feel like it, he hasn't changed. Third, illumination is on the word and in the church. It is on the word and it is in the church. The objective word will always speak a harmonious word to his people throughout time and space. In other words, the doctrine of illumination is tightly connected to the doctrine of the church. We go off the rails very quickly when we remove ourselves from a family of faith and start to think, well, God has told me these things, so you should, you should believe me. That's how cults get started. Because they've divorced themselves from the location where the Spirit of God is speaking that word to his people. It is among the body of Christ that the light of Christ shines, particularly as the word is brought to bear in preaching. So don't say this just because it's me today, but there is something peculiar about what happens in this building at 1045 or about 1120 on Sunday mornings that doesn't happen in the other hours of your week where the people of God gather to say, what has God to say to us today? If every believer then has the Spirit, then a believer's church, like Lakeview, is a powerful location for the work of illumination. God does not always illumine his word to you as a believer only for your sake. So here, here's what I mean. Perhaps the body of Christ comes together to share in the illumination that has led to biblical insight so that not you would be blessed by your insight, but so that others would be blessed by your insight. Could it be that the body of Christ and its many members are informed and illumined and used by the Spirit of God, not just for their sake, but for yours? This is why 
by God's grace and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we covenant to be together on the Lord's Day. Because I need you. And you need me. And we need each other. And God is going to speak a word to you by the power of illumination as you open up his word that is not for you, but for your brother who you're going to see in five days. He needs your faithfulness. He needs your obedience. And you need his. Could it be that the struggles that we endure, the sufferings that we experience, the great joys and tri- the triumphs over our sins might not just end with us, but extend to the whole body? And that means our current context, therefore, is relevant to this doctrine. The Spirit will meet a church wherever she is. Take the Word of God and bring it to bear upon the people of God. So the inerrancy of Scripture is always affirmed. It is without error. We are not changing the Bible one iota. And it is totally trustworthy. We're not adding new meaning to this text. We're not saying, well, well, I think it means this. No. But as we sit under the Word by the power of the Spirit, it shines on us in various contexts. And I'm, I'm not the Spirit. But perhaps an illuminating application of this sermon is that you and I might have a better handle on what it is that we're actually doing right now. We're here to know God. But we're here to know God so that we might love Him. That may sound cliche. That may sound like 101 stuff. But that is why we're here. There's a theologian, long dead, at the top of all academic success in the 20th century. Some of the things he said were very, very good. Some of the things he said were very, very wrong. But it's unavoidable that this theologian is one of the most influential Christians in probably the last 200 years. And somebody asked him at the end of his life, what's the most just dumbfounding truth that you've uncovered in all of your decades of study of Scripture? What's, what's the thing that makes you so excited to just keep going? And what are the things that, what, what, what's the one thing that if you were going to teach somebody something that you've learned, what, what would it be? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Church, that's where we need to be. It's where we need to be at home, in our prayer closets. It's where we need to be around our dinner tables, with our family, with our Bibles open. It's where we need to be when we gather here for Sunday school to hear the word preached. It's in the rhythms of life as the people of God that the illuminating spirit is revealing by his wisdom the light of Christ in and through his body. So as we prepare to respond, here is my charge. If you consider yourself a believer, a faithful member of Lakeview Baptist Church or some like-minded church, if you would say, no, I'm, I'm not a believer. I, I don't know that I agree with this. I don't know if I believe the gospel. Here's my charge to all of you. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Jesus says, if you will seek him, you will find him. And he's given us a word. He's given us his church so that we might be without excuse but also that we might be with hope. And so my hope and prayer is that this morning, 
you would leave with hope. I'd love to pray for you as Adam and the worship team comes up to respond. We respond with them. God of grace, you are immeasurably kind to give us your word because when we read your word, we hear you speak. And I pray that for all of us in this room, you might enlighten our hearts so that we might know the hope to which you have called us, that you would give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation and that we might be alert to his presence now and forevermore. And when we forget, as we are so quick to do, you would surround us with these brothers and sisters to point us once again to your presence and to your light. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.